Jesus Christ, you are the name that is above every name. Jesus Christ, you are the name that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you, you are Lord. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the faithful witness, the Lion and the Lamb, the Lion of Judah. This is who you are and so much more. No title can comprehend you, the great I am. And it is that name I pray right now we would humble ourselves before, quickly, eagerly, and take our rightful place before you. You speak, we listen. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray right now we would say, Lord, change me. Lord, that distraction from this week, that anxiety, that fear, that hurt, that pain, I just cast that on you right now. Lion of Judah, I cast that on you right now. King of kings, I cast that at your feet. Sovereign one, creator, sustainer, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresence, this is who you are. And we worship you today. The son of God, the word of God, the life giver, the life sustainer, the one who was and is and is to come. humble us in your presence right now awesome king humble us in your presence right now and I pray we would say Lord speak to me change me remove distractions from this place guard my mouth from error and say what you want to say oh sovereign king of the universe in Jesus mighty name church if you agree say amen amen you may be seated Well, church, let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verses 1 to 15. If you do not have a copy of God's Word in front of you, our ushers are coming forward right now. Just put your hands up. We want to put one in your lap, but we don't mind running to the back to get more if they're all taken. So make sure you're putting your hand up, and it's on page 518 in those Bibles. John chapter 4, verses 1 to 15 is what we're looking at today. And here we are, starting John chapter 4, and we're entering the home stretch of our series in the Gospel of John that we started in December or in September. And so we're entering that last chapter and then we're going to break this year and then we're going to carry on starting in the fall with John chapter 5 moving forward. But here's what's significant about John chapter 4. What's significant is that this chapter starts out with a conversation that Jesus has with a woman of Samaria. Okay? A conversation that Jesus had. Now you can look at that and say, well, it's just a conversation with a woman by a well. What's significant about that? Well, it's significant because this conversation right here sets the stage for the spread of the gospel, for the spread of salvation to the Gentiles. It sets the stage for that. And here we see God fulfilling the next step in the mission of the gospel. What's the mission of the gospel? The very thing you and I as Christians are called to today. And it's from Matthew 28, 19 to 20. You'll see it on the screen. Jesus says this. He says, go therefore and make disciples of what? Just some nations? Say it with me, loved ones. All nations. All nations. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. I love this promise right here. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Loved ones, this message today is such an important message for the church today. It is such an important message for the world today. Tune in, get your pens ready, get your sermon notes ready, because this is of crucial importance. Why, why, why? Why do you say that? Because we live in a world that lets so many barriers keep us from living on mission and spreading out the gospel to the people around us. Some of these barriers include racial barriers, ethnic barriers, religious barriers, Barriers, relational barriers, geographic barriers, and even socioeconomic barriers. Plagued with it. Would you agree? Turn on the news. You'll see it all over the place. And this this can happen overtly through heinous, wicked racism that declares that the gospel is for all. The gospel is available to all if you're of one skin color. Or heinous, satanic racism that says the gospel is available for all from one ethnicity. One people group only. Or we can do this subconsciously. We can do this subconsciously, loved ones. With that, with that man on the street that you see there. With the same need that you and I have. Or that person that you'd be embarrassed to be seen with and your social status might get called into question if you actually stop to spend time with them. Or that little child, what will my people think? What will my crew think if I stop to stoop and to share the gospel with that two-year-old? How will I look in their eyes? We often say, well, it's the gospel that's available to all except when it calls me to go out of my comfort zone. Except when I don't feel like the person deserves to have Christ proclaimed because they've hurt me. Is it still available to all at that moment? We let these barriers divide us, loved ones, not just outside of the church, in the church. And the reality is this, as much as we like to pretend this isn't happening... Here's the reality, and that at times we aren't contributing to it. The truth is it's happening all around us, and this represents nothing, nothing of the mission and message of the true gospel. Nothing. It's the exact opposite. Why? How can you say that? Because the gospel is the gift of God, and it is available to all. The gospel is the gift of God, and it is available to all. Look at John 3.16, the very heart of the gospel itself, a few verses back from where we are today. It says, for God so loved, what? The people of one skin color? See, I'm a little fired up about this today. For God so loved, what? The people of one socioeconomic status? For God so loved the people just in your little clique group? No. For God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave us his only son that whoever, whoever, 
from wherever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Shall not perish in hell, shall not endure the wrath of God, but will have eternal life. You can't, look at this church. Let's take a moment, look what God is doing. You cannot look around this church this morning and tell me, tell me that the gift of the gospel is not available to all. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. The truth is this. You see it on the screen. The gospel is available to all. And with that, as Christians, we have a call. The gospel is available to all. And we have a call because of it. And in this text today, we see two truths of the gospel, loved ones, that we must embrace if we are to be faithful in our mission of seeing disciples made of all nations. You ready? Ready to dive in? Two truths that we must embrace if we are to be faithful. Let's stand honor the authority of God's word, and we'll read John chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. John chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. Jesus and the woman of Samaria. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Hear the word of the Lord. So let's jump right in here. The gift of the gospel is available to all. And truth number one is this. We have a mission. We have a mission. Proclaim Christ for all to believe. We have a mission And the question that this truth confronts us with is this. Everyone everywhere needs Jesus. Am I willing to go? Everyone everywhere needs Jesus. Am I willing to go? Look at verses 1 to 9 again. When Jesus learned the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making disciples and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Okay, let's get some context here. Recall, the last time we're told of Jesus' ministry in chapter 3 that we looked at last week, his disciples were baptizing people along the Jordan River, not far from where John the Baptist was baptizing. And as we see again here in these first three verses, so many people, remember this last week? So many people began coming to Jesus that the Pharisees took notice. And so he leaves the rural area of Judea he's in and heads for the region of Galilee, eventually stopping in a town called Sychar. Now, now, let's just paint the picture here and get our context. Sychar is not like, hey, let's go hop, skip, and a jump down the dirt path and we'll get to skip Sychar. Sychar was 70 miles from where Jesus is right now. It's not like Jesus could take an Uber. 
all right? He's needing to walk 70 miles, which according to walking pace was two and a half days. Now here's the map you'll see. So here he is by the fords of Jericho. That's where Jesus and his disciples were baptizing. Now he goes up into the region of Samaria to the town of Sychar. Now notice in verse 4, it says he had to pass through. You see that? And he had to pass through Samaria along the way. Now let's get some clarity. You see this map again, okay? So there's the region of Judea and then the region of Galilee at the top, both in green, and then Samaria is this region in the middle. And although the region of Samaria was situated between Judea and Galilee, and it was the shortest route to get there. Jesus is going from the bottom to the top of the map. So the shortest route, yes, is to go through Samaria. He didn't have to go through Samaria geographically. Why? Because there's two other routes that the Jews had and often used. He could go up the Jordan River. That's the Jordan Valley. There was a way there. Yes, it would take longer, but they wouldn't have to go through Samaria because no Jews wanted to go through Samaria because they didn't want to associate with them. You'll see why in a moment. But then there's another route that you could take along the coast of the Mediterranean. Yes, it would take longer, but Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria geographically. So what does the word had to actually mean? Well, if we look at the Greek... You'll see it on the screen. The Greek word is day. Day. And it is this. It is what, this is what it means. It is what must happen. It is absolutely and divinely necessary. Jesus had to go to Samaria. It was a divine necessity that he go to Samaria. And why is that so important? Because we need to recall this. Jesus Christ came to earth to fulfill God's, God the Father's mission. And his father, here it is, ready? Divine necessity? He had a divine appointment for him waiting in Sychar. God the Father had a divine appointment for the son waiting for him in Sychar. And verses 5 to 6, we see that it was at Jacob's well near a field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Now, you can read it. So here's the, here's the stretch, of the, here's the picture of where we're at here. So you see Jacob's well in the bottom left corner there. It's now covered by an uh, unfinished Orthodox church. Okay, but the well's inside there. And then you see Mount Gerizim right there. And then the ruins of the Samaritan temple on Gerizim. And then Sychar over here, a little village on the right. And then Shechem in the middle. So this is where we are. But you'll read about this in, in Genesis 48, 22, where Jacob gives the field to Joseph. But why is it so important? Why does this name Jacob keep coming up? This is important to know. For two reasons. Number one, Jacob was one of the patriarchs of the Jewish people. Patriarchs. He was looked upon with, that means eminence, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then 12, Jacob's 12 sons, which then later became the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's looked upon as one of the patriarchs, so he's a big deal. And then all of a sudden, you see the second reason, he's looked upon as one of the founders of the Jewish people or the Jewish faith. So Jacob was like royalty to them. If I could sum that up, see at the bottom, equals big deal. Jacob's a big deal. And so look at verse 6. You see what happens in verse 6? This is setting the stage for us. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So he's walking. He's wearied from walking to Samaria, which, by the way, is a beautiful picture of Jesus' humanity. He's walking to Samaria and stops at the well the sixth hour. Now, this is 
According to Jewish time, 12 noon. It's the hottest part of the day. 12 noon. There we are. And verses 7 to 8, you can see as he's sitting there, and his disciples have gone off to buy food for lunch, a Samaritan woman comes to draw water from the well, and, say, and Jesus says, give me a drink. Now, now, let's not get confused here. Get some clarity. Jesus is not being rude to the woman right here. He's not saying, hey, woman, give me a drink. No. He's being polite. He's being kind. He says it, give me a drink. He's gentle. He's not bullying her. Now, just a moment. We need to live in this text if we're going to understand the significance. This interaction right here was unheard of. Recognize the significance of what is happening. Because look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. gives us a clue. The Samaritan woman says to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And here it is right here. Why? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jews have no, this was unheard of. We are told Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Why? Because of the massive amount of animosity and prejudice between them. Huge amounts of prejudice between these two people groups. Now, what kind of prejudice are we talking about? You see it on the screen. Number one, racial prejudice. After Israel, and where did this come from? After Israel was split into two kingdoms, in 931 BC, the United Kingdom under King Solomon of Israel split into the Northern Kingdom, which was later called Israel, and the Southern Kingdom, which was called Judah. That's happening in 931 BC. They split. And then about 200 years later, Assyria invades the Northern Kingdom. In 722 BC, Assyria comes in, invades the Northern Kingdom of Israel, and here's what they did. They deported, they took out many Jewish people, most of the Jewish people there. But they didn't stop there. Then they imported a bunch of their people, the non-Jewish people, into the region. And what happened is they formed a mixed race. This is where the Samaritans came from. They formed a mixed race through marriage. They were, and, and so as a result, the Samaritans, in the eyes of the quote-unquote pure Jews, they were looked upon as being unclean half-Jews. And the reason so many Jewish people didn't even walk into the region of Samaria, were willing to go up the other routes that took longer to get to Galilee, was this. Because the Jewish people believed that anyone going and having an interaction with a Samaritan would defile a true Jew by interacting with them. And so they did all that they could to avoid each other. All that they could. Hey, loved ones, quick question. Does this sound familiar in our world today? Writer of Ecclesiastes, the Kohelet says, there's nothing new under the sun. Does this sound familiar? In all our advancement as a race, really, really? As humanity? So we have this racial prejudice going on, but we also have religious prejudice. Here's why. Samaritans only regarded the Pentateuch as authoritative. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that was their authority. Whereas the Jewish people in Jerusalem and Judea and on everywhere else in Jerusalem, they believed the whole Old Testament was authoritative. 
and the writings of the prophets. And, and the Samaritans, to top it off, you saw that picture that we, hey, can you throw that picture of Shechem back up, Leon, please? And so you see there, they've got a ruins of the Samaritan temple. That's Mount Gerizim. They built their own temple to worship God there. Whereas the Jewish people said the only true worship of God could happen in Jerusalem at the temple. But the Samaritans built their own temple. You can see the ruins of that today. All right. And to top all of this off, they were also worshiping the gods of the Assyrians that came in and imported. So their worship of God was syncretistic and pluralistic. So they weren't just worshiping the one true God, they were worshiping all these other false idols. And so in the eyes of the Jewish people, get out of there. Avoid them like the plague. Don't touch them or you'll be defiled. And to top it all off, guess what? This lady, no surprise here, she's a woman. She's a woman and Jesus is a man. And he's striking up a conversation with her. And as we'll see later on in today, a religious conversation, which was unheard of. So many barriers being broken down right here. It was completely socially unacceptable. And this is why in verse 9, the woman, in a state of shock, responds to Jesus by asking, wait a sec, how can you be asking me for a drink? Like, how can you be asking me? Even the vessel that the woman would give Jesus, dip in the water and give to Jesus, would be considered unclean and would defile him by drinking out of it. How can you ask me for a drink? Yet in spite of all these prejudices and animosity that the culture said needed to have against the Samaritans, here it is, Jesus looks past all of that and he sees the woman's heart. Jesus always goes back to the heart. He looks past all of it and sees the woman's heart. Not a physical need that she had for water, but a spiritual need. A spiritual need. And he says, look at verse 10. This is so beautiful. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift... Of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Awesome. Awesome. Jesus makes a stunning statement here and tells her that the gift of God of salvation is available to her, and all she needed to do was ask for it, and she would be given living water. What is living water? The Greek for that means this, the spirit of God and the truth of God that would satisfy her soul for eternity. Living water. See, this verse right here, Verse 10 is the transition verse that everything turns upon and salvation is taking its first step to being brought to the Gentiles. There it is. See, see, if I could sum that interaction up, it'd be about this. You'll see it on the screen. It wasn't about her social grade. It was about Christ's supernatural grace. It was not about her social grade. It was about Christ's supernatural grace grace and it still is today for by grace you are saved through faith and this not of yourself not of your works that no one may boast I'm better than you salvation is a gift of God which cannot be earned and none of us deserve no matter our race no matter our social status no matter our gender it is the gift of God and God alone 
And the truth is this. This is why Christ had to come to Samaria. The divine appointment. This is why he was willing to cross all the societal and cultural limitations and social stigmas to proclaim that the gift of God is not bound by any of that stuff and we have a mission to proclaim it to all. I love how Paul says this in Colossians 1.28. You'll see it on the screen. He says, him, Jesus Christ, we proclaim. Warning. The word warning there means to encourage or to exhort. What is that? Just a few people? No. Warning everyone. Look how many times he says everyone. Everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Loved ones, the question isn't, does God have divine appointments around me? Is the gospel truly available to all? The question is, are you willing to see those divine appointments and go? Whether it's, hey, loved ones, you say, well... I don't know, I'm thinking across the world, and maybe if that's what God calls you, but how about this? Across the world or across the street? How about this? Whether down your street or down the hall into the Harvest Kids class? Are you willing to go? How about this? Whether across races, ethnicities, or social groups? You willing to go? Whether to the least of these, like this woman, there's a reason she came at 12 noon, by the way, by herself. The ladies of Samaria came in the morning or the evening when it was cooler. There's a reason she came by herself, and we will get there next week. Stay tuned. But whether to the least of these or the highest up on the success ladder, are you willing to see past all that and see the desperate spiritual need for a savior that every single person has? This world is suffering from massive spiritual dehydration, loved ones. Are we willing to see the need and go? You see, you see this on the screen. It's hit me this week. The mission of the gospel is not about our reputation, but about reconciliation. The mission of the gospel is not about your reputation or mine. Who am I going to hang out with today? What are people going to... Listen, it's not about that. If Christ was concerned about his reputation, he's not setting foot in Samaria. If he wanted to win it over with the people in Judea. The gospel is not about your reputation or mine, but about reconciliation of a broken humanity to the Savior. That's the mission. We must be more concerned about repentance, loved ones, than our reputations. What divine appointments have been put in front of you right now? If you're married, there's one called your spouse. Proclaiming the gospel, laying down your life in the heat of the conflict, in the heat of the argument. Can you proclaim Jesus Christ in that moment or do you want to win that? Parents, divine appointments, if you have children, there they are around your table every day. When you're saying goodnight to them, when you're in your free time. Are you going to Facebook or giving them FaceTime? Students, what about your classmates? I love we have so many students in this church. Praise the Lord for that. What about your classmates? Do you see those as divine appointments? Are you willing to go 
When God, it's not a matter if they're there, it's just a matter of will you take them? Were you willing to see them? What about your neighbors, your coworkers? How about serving in the church? Are you willing to go? See, because the gift of the gospel is available to all, and we have a mission. Proclaim Jesus Christ for all to believe, because the truth is everyone everywhere needs Jesus. And are you willing to go and repent of the times we are not? Here's why we go. Last point for today. Here's why we go. Because Christ has a promise. Christ has a promise. Gift of the gospel is available to all, and Christ has a promise. Salvation for all who receive. Salvation for all who receive. Key question that that truth begs is this. Only Jesus can quench my true thirst. Am I turning to him? Only Jesus can quench my true thirst. Am I turning to him? Look at verses 11 and 12. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Where do you get that thing that you think is going to satisfy? Verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. See, in response to Jesus' comment on living water, the woman doesn't understand that Jesus is speaking of the spiritual thirst of her heart and thinks that he's talking about the physical thirst in getting water for her to drink. Just live in the text. In verse 11, it's as if she's saying this, where do you get this living water from? How can you even get any water? You don't even have a bucket to get it with. And this well is deep. Jacob's well, by the way, is today. It's still in use in the crypt of that church, still in use, and it's 100 feet deep today, and they believe it was deeper back in Jesus' day. So we're not talking about, hey, just reach down and get a spoonful. It's 100 feet deep. She goes, where are you going to get that? You don't even have a bucket, man. How can you get any water? And by the way, verse 12, who do you think you are? Do you think you're greater than Jacob? When she says greater there, she says, do you think you have more authority, more power, more Eminence, remember, he's like the founder of the Jewish people. He's like, mm, Jacob. Okay? She's like, who do you think you are? You got eminence over him? Listen, if Jacob, his sons, and even his cows drank from this well, how is it that you find the well and its water inadequate? It was very adequate for the guy who founded the people, the guy who started the Jewish faith. Oh, it was very adequate. What do you mean it's inadequate for you? The best in the world drank out of this. The fact that this world says this well water is important to have and should satisfy you is enough. Hey man, Jacob drank from this water. This is as good as it gets. Is it? When this world says today this is as good as it gets, is it? Is it? Careful. See, today, doesn't this world say the same thing, loved ones? They say the same things. Saying the things of this world should be good enough for you and that they can and should satisfy you. It's adequate. The pornography on the screen is adequate to satisfy you. Go there. It's good enough for lots of other people. It should be good enough for you too, right? See, whether we realize it or not, loved ones, Each of us is asking the same question as this woman. Every person you're going to pass on the street today, 
or in your home today is asking the same question. Where can I get the living water? Where can I get that which truly satisfies? The same question the woman's asking. Where can I get it? And they're crying out for it. And the world promises we can get it from what it has to offer. As one commentator, he put it this way. Listen very carefully. Some attempt to quench their thirst through buying stuff. They hope accumulating more possessions or the right possessions will satisfy them. Just get more stuff. Whenever they grow restless, they run to the store, pull out the plastic, and buy something, anything to distract them for a little while longer of what they're truly seeking. Others attempt to quench their thirst through food and drink. Whenever they begin to long for something more significant in life, they eat. They look for comfort and solace in a fancy dinner or a bag of Oreos. Comfort food. Ever heard that expression? Can it really comfort you? You sure? They attempt to silence their spiritual thirst by quenching their physical thirst with another beer, another glass of wine, or Diet Coke. Others build great houses. Others pursue the water of entertainment and entertain themselves to forget. Why is it? Why is it? You ever notice this? You walk into one of those, the biggest movie theater chains now, and what's, or you walk in, it says, escape with us. Why do you need to escape? Only if you're seeking satisfaction in that which can't satisfy. How about this? They need to achieve success. If I just get to the next status, I'll be satisfied. If I just get the next paycheck, I'll be satisfied. If I just get X amount of dollars, I'll be satisfied. Broken cisterns, loved ones. It's a sieve. Water goes in and comes out real fast. Jeremiah 2 calls it that. Maybe if I just accumulate money or pursue satisfaction. Here's another one. As we're going to find out next week, this woman was doing. I'll just pursue it in relationships. If I can get a boyfriend, if I can get a girlfriend, if I can get a spouse, if I can have kids, I'm going to pursue satisfaction. Loved ones, you do not want to go down that road. It will not satisfy. It cannot satisfy. And we're going to see that in this woman's life next week. But, but yet, everything we turn to here leaves us empty and longing for more. This is why we have to keep going after it. Because it never truly satisfies. It's a broken cistern, loved one. It's going to go in and come out. And all these things promise refreshment. They promise refreshment, but leave us with regret. There's only one source of living water. There's only one that satisfies. And he will not share his glory with another. Only Jesus can quench your true thirst, loved ones. Will you turn to him and say, Jesus Christ, I believe you are God and you came as fully God and fully man. Just like you came for this woman, you came for me and lived a perfect life, was sacrificed on a cross for my sin to pay the penalty that I deserved 
totally unable to get to you, to get to God on my own without a savior. And you died on that cross, suffering the wrath of God, and then was buried for three days and rose again, defeating sin and death for all time, that I would be reconciled to you if I confess and believe that you are Lord and turn from my sin and turn to you. Say, I've had enough with the broken cisterns. I've had enough with the water of this world. I'm coming for the water that truly satisfies. Will you turn to him, loved ones? This isn't some prosperity gospel. It doesn't mean your life's going to be like ease and comfort. For the, listen, there's going to be challenges. Yes. There's going to be trials. Yes. But there's satisfaction in them. Behold, I'm with you. Always to the end of the age. See, God's gift of salvation, God's gift of living water is available to you today and it promises, the promise of salvation has so many promises within it, hundreds of them. So stay tuned, we're gonna go through the first hundred right now. Just kidding, just kidding, kidding, kidding. Here's the reality. There's two that we see in this text. There's two, that, two promises of salvation that we see in this text. Here it is, number one. Two gospel promises. Number one, permanent satisfaction in Jesus. Permanent satisfaction in Jesus. Look at verses 13 to 14. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. He's talking about the water from that well, Jacob's well, the one that was supposed to be good enough. He says they're going to be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never, love that word, never be thirsty again. See, Jesus tells her that as long as she keeps trying to quench her thirst and gain satisfaction from the waters of this world, she will always end up thirsty again and will always be in a state of spiritual dehydration and longing for more. Why? Because the only living water given through salvation in Jesus Christ can satisfy. You say, well, how do you know that? Let's look. Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. You'll see it on the screen. God says this, come. There's the invitation today. Right there, right, right where you're at. You say, but, I, but I've done all this stuff. I've, I've walked away from the Lord. I've never... Come. That's the Lord's word for you to come, loved one. I know all that stuff in your history. I get that. Come as you are. Come, everyone, there's that word again, who thirsts, come to the waters. Why do you spend? This is a word for people in church today, in this room. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, the bread of life? Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Why? Step out of the rat race. Why do you keep spending your labor in searching for that next relationship when I'm offering you the, re the only relationship you will need into eternity? Why are you laboring after that next child when I'm calling you to be my child and know me as a good father that will satisfy? Why are you laboring for that spouse? Why are you laboring for that next opportunity ahead of me, thinking that will satisfy you? I love one of the early church fathers, St. Augustine, he said this, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless 
until it finds its rest in Will you turn to him? Will you come to the water? Are you thirsting for a drink from that well? Jesus is calling. And what do we, here's the other thing. If you have that and you've made that decision to follow Jesus Christ and you are a genuine Christian here, listen, loved ones, here's the, here's the call for us today. What do you need to repent of that you're turning to for satisfaction that isn't him? What cistern are you digging for yourself that you think will satisfy? What is that for you? Repent, loved one. Hey, loved one, Matthew 5 tells us there is no condemnation on the other side of repentance, only comfort. What are you turning to to satisfy? Just write that down and repent of it and give it to the Lord. and Say, help me, strengthen me to want you. Promise number one of the gospel, permanent satisfaction in Jesus. And lastly, it all leads to this. Promise number two, eternal life with Jesus. Eternal life with Jesus. Look at this, verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never, never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become. See that promise? It's not if. The water that I give you will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See what Jesus says here. He says that for all those who come to him, they will have eternal life. Not just Now, when we think of eternal life, loved ones, we honestly think, we, well, when I get to heaven, when, I get, when we all get to heaven, right, right? That's what we like to think about. But what the reality is about eternal life is that if you're a follower of Christ, the moment you receive him, it starts now. Like right now. And you can experience that in increasing measure. Not just with him for eternity in heaven, but right now is the living water of his spirit and his presence increasingly satisfies you more in him and less in the world. I love that. It will well up. It will well, I love that term, well up with increasing joy in Christ. Increasing freedom in Christ. Increasing satisfaction in Christ. Increasing peace in Christ. Increasing strength in Christ. It will well up and well up and well, oh, oh, increasing image of Christ. As we become more like our king, more like our savior, and it wells up and it wells up and it wells up as the Holy Spirit's power that we receive at salvation transforms us from one degree of glory to the next. It wells up into eternal Life, all the way into eternity. You want to know what that day looks like? Want to know? Want to know? He gives us a glimpse. Revelation chapter 7. I was in tears this week prepping this passage. He says, they, 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 those who come to Jesus Christ, they will hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. For the Lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the, the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. Just got to lean closer to see. 
and he will guide them. Look at this. He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will, look at this promise, loved ones. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's coming. That is coming for all who believe. And who don't just pay lip service to Jesus or don't hear his word and reject it. This is what's coming. Welling up into eternity. Here's a glimpse of eternity in Christ. Every tear, loved ones, do we, do we get this? Every tear that you have cried and I have cried, chasing things you thought would satisfy, but have left you broken, disappointed, and with a greater sense of emptiness, every one of those tears wiped away in that moment. And this can start today. Will you turn to him? You say, well, I've got so much to lose. Uh, that really pales in comparison to how much you have to gain. Loved ones, this is the gift of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and it is available to all. And we have a mission. We have a mission. Proclaim him for all to believe because Christ has a promise. Salvation for all who receive. Two questions we finish with. Will you come to him? And will you go to lead others to him? Let's pray. Jesus Christ, you say, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Loved one, right now, right where you're sitting, why do you labor for that which isn't satisfying? Come you who are thirsty, and you will have living water welling up into eternity. Father, I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, you would be revealing to us what cisterns we're digging for ourselves that we think will satisfy as we try to fill them. Father, I pray we'd be so quick to repent of those. I pray today would be the day of salvation. Today, people would say, I need to come. I need to come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is found in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I can be forgiven of my sin and saved from hell today. And not only that, I can learn for the first time what true satisfaction is in Jesus Christ. Lord, may we respond with ready hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.